Section 93, Introduction According to the History of the Church, Volume 1, page 366, the membership of the church in Kirtland at this time was about 150 families. Of course, at some time there had been over 2,000 members of the church here in Kirtland, but most of them had long since migrated to Zion. But even though the saints in Kirtland had been reduced to only 150 families, Joseph knew the Lord wanted them organized into a stake so they could build a temple. He had not received a commandment to take this step so far, but he knew it was coming. Therefore, on March the 23rd, 1833, a council of elders met with Joseph Smith to appoint a committee that would be authorized to purchase a section of land that could be made into inheritances and lay the foundation for a Kirtland stake. Ezra Thayer and Joseph Coe were the ones who made the purchase, and soon the saints were busy engaged in building what would become a city for the saints in Kirtland. On May the 4th, 1853, Joseph received the revelation they had been expecting. It was a command to build a stake of the church in Kirtland. At the same conference, a committee was appointed to gather subscriptions for the building of a house of the Lord for the School of the Prophets. This later became known as the Kirtland Temple. But on May the 6th, at this same conference, Joseph Smith received one of the most profound revelations in the entire Doctrine and Covenants. It was almost as though the Lord was anticipating some of the deep spiritual truths which the saints would need to know in order to grasp the genuine significance of the sacred temple endowment. Now we come to section 93. Verily thus saith the Lord, It shall come to pass that every soul who forsaketh his sins, and cometh unto me, and calleth on my name, and obeyeth my voice, and keepeth my commandments, shall see my face and know that I am. Here is the profound promise of God himself, that every human being who obeys the commandments of the Lord will have the privilege of coming into the presence of the Lord and actually beholding his face. And that I am the true light that lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, and the Father and I are one, the Father because he gave me of his fullness, and the Son because I was in the world and made flesh my tabernacle, and dwelt among the sons of men. Jesus wants us to understand how he can be the embodiment of both the Father and the Son. He is the Father because he personifies everything the Father has. The Father gave the fullness of his very being, the essence of his divine self to Jesus. When you see the Savior, you see everything the Father could confer upon him. He withheld nothing. That is why he would say in verse 3, quote, The Father and I are one, unquote. Nevertheless, Jesus became the Son because his Spirit was the firstborn of the Father's children, and in mortality he was conceived in the womb of Mary by the direct intercession of the Father. He thereby became the only begotten Son of God, who came in the meridian of time and ministered among the children of men. 
I was in the world and received of my Father, and the works of him were plainly manifest. During the ministry of Christ, he lavished the power of the Father's gift of healing on the sick and the crippled. He miraculously fed hundreds of people. He raised the dead. He stilled turbulent waters. He changed water into wine and cast out evil spirits. Surely the miraculous powers of the Father were manifest abundantly during the ministry of Christ. And John saw and bore record of the fullness of my glory, and the fullness of John's record is hereafter to be revealed. And he bore record, saying, I saw his glory, that he was in the beginning before the world was. Therefore in the beginning the word was, for he was the word even the messenger of salvation. John the Baptist was shown a vision of Jesus as he presided in the heavens before the world was. He was called a word because he was the Father's messenger of salvation, and therefore a word from the Savior was all that was required to reorder the intelligences and have them conform to whatever command he gave them. The Light and the Redeemer of the World the Spirit of Truth, who came into the world because the world was made by Him, and in Him was the life of men and the light of men. The worlds were made by Him. Men were made by Him. All things were made by Him and through Him and of Him. The Son was made the Father's general manager of this entire round of creation. Therefore he became the light and the source of life for all of the Father's children. In fact, the planetary worlds were made by him. Mankind and all things in existence were made by the Savior. This means that all of us had to wait during the intelligence stage of our development until Jesus had perfected himself so he could prepare the spirit earth, our spirit bodies, and everything else that went with this round of creation. And I, John, bear record that I beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, even the spirit of truth, which came and dwelt in the flesh and dwelt among us. John wants to testify that he saw the Savior in all his glory during the pre-existence, he came to appreciate that in addition to being the only begotten of the Father, Jesus was made the focal point for the origin of all power emanating from the Father. Furthermore, he came to know all truth or the reality of all existing things. And John testified that the glorious being of whom he was speaking was none other than Jesus of Nazareth, who came and dwelt among mankind in the flesh. And I, John, saw that he received not of the fullness at the first, but received grace for grace. And he received not of the fullness at first, but continued from grace to grace until he received a fullness. Now here is some scripture we never could have anticipated. The Lord said Jesus had to be trained and developed before he had attained a degree of equality with the Father and could serve as the general manager of this entire round of creation. And thus he was called 
the Son of God, because he received not of the fullness at the first. It is obvious that this training of the Savior extended over a long period of time. And I, John, bear record, and lo, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Ghost descended upon him in the form of a dove, and sat upon him, and there came a voice out of heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son. And I, John, bear record that he received a fullness of the glory of the Father. Nevertheless, Jesus finally attained the status the Father wanted him to acquire. The Father acknowledged this high status at the time he was baptized. The Father called him his beloved Son, and John bore witness that he received the fullness of the Father's glory. And he received all power both in heaven and on earth. And the glory of the Father was with him, for he dwelt in him. This gave Jesus the Father's power, both in heaven and in the earth, and Jesus could assume this high calling, because now the Father himself was in him and part of him. And it shall come to pass that if you are faithful, you shall receive the fullness of the record of John. From this verse we learn that the scriptures do not yet contain the full measure of John's revelation concerning the Savior and his pre-existence. Someday the Lord says we will receive the fullness of John's vision. I give unto you these sayings that you may understand and know how to worship, and know what you worship, that you may come unto the Father in my name, and in due time receive of his fullness. The Lord realized that we are getting the gospel line upon line and layer upon layer, but we still have a long way to go. Nevertheless, the Lord says, quote, in due time, unquote, we will get the whole picture and know really who we worship and how to worship him. For if you keep my commandments, you shall receive of his fullness and be glorified in me as I am in the Father. Therefore I say unto you, you shall receive grace for grace. To get the fullness of this celestial knowledge, we must obey the commandment so we can be worthy to receive it grace for grace. And now verily I say unto you, I was in the beginning with the Father, and am the firstborn. But even though Jesus did not receive the fullness at first, he wants to emphasize that he was with the Father from the very beginning. He was also the very first to receive a spirit body begotten by the Father. And all those who are begotten through me are partakers of the glory of the same, and are the church of the firstborn. This verse might not be fully understood at first, because Jesus is now talking about the Father's children accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby becoming begotten of the Savior. These are the sons and daughters of Christ who comprise the church of the firstborn. Ye were also in the beginning with the Father, that which is spirit, even the spirit of truth. And truth is knowledge of things as they are, and as they were, and as they are to come. And whatsoever is more or less than this is the spirit of that wicked one who was a liar from the beginning, 
The Spirit of Truth is of God. I am the Spirit of Truth, and John bore record of me, saying, He received a fullness of truth, yea, even of all truth. And no man receiveth a fullness, unless he keepeth his commandments. He that keepeth his commandments receiveth truth and light, until he is glorified in truth, and knoweth all things. The next six verses are highly technical, inasmuch as the Lord uses words that have the Father's own unique interpretation of the meaning. For example, he says, quote, Truth is knowledge of things as they are, as they were, and as they are to come, unquote. In other words, with God, truth is knowledge of all genuine reality, past, present, and future, In our original intelligence stage, we were in the beginning with the Father. He had knowledge of us as part of the past as well as the present, and he knows how we will turn out in the future. In other words, this great panorama of reality is ever before him, and therefore he has a visible knowledge of all reality, past, present, and future. In our present state, it is not possible for us to fully understand this concept. Nevertheless, the Father assures us that it is true. Jesus then goes on to say that we cannot enjoy this kind of knowledge ourselves unless we live righteous lives. And if we think we know the truth and it is not given of the Savior, it is coming from Satan and it will be a lie. But if we stay close to the Savior and obey his commandments, we will someday know all truth, past, present, and future. Man was also in the beginning with God. Intelligence, or the light of truth, was not created or made, neither indeed can be. Now we come to one of the gospel gems concerning ourselves. Jesus said we were in the beginning with the Father. At that time, we were in the intelligent stage and with the Father in outer darkness. We know where we all came from because those who betray God and become sons of perdition return to that place. Now, that's in the Doctrine and Covenants 88 and 32. And the Lord identifies this place as, quote, outer darkness. That's in Doctrine and Covenants 133, verse 32. Brigham Young says this outer darkness is packed with matter or element. This is in the Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, pages 2 to 3. And matter, we learn, consists of two things. Father Lehi says it consists of that which acts, called intelligence, and that which is acted upon, which we call element. Father Lehi says this in 2 Nephi, verse 2 and 14. Even though all intelligences originate in outer darkness, Joseph Smith says our father got ahead of us because an eternal being who became his father swept him up ahead of us and got him started on an earlier round of creation. So what we are experiencing now, the father Elohim went through ages ago. Joseph Smith described it in the King Follett Sermon. He said, quote, God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens, unquote. And that's in the teachings of Joseph Smith, page 145. Obviously, this statement has stupendous implications, 
As we just mentioned, it means that our Heavenly Father went through the same pattern of eternal progression that we are now experiencing. It means that our Heavenly Father, or Elohim, has his own Heavenly Father who gathered him up from outer darkness and gave him the opportunity to participate in a round of creation ahead of us. After the Father was resurrected and perfected, he was considered among those, quote, worthy to be crowned gods, even the sons of God, and was therefore ordained to organize matter, unquote. Brigham Young discusses this in the Journal of Discourses, volume 15, page 137. And after the Father had qualified to set up a round of creation of his own, he came back to the borders of outer darkness to get those of us he had left behind. As Joseph Smith said, quote, the first principles or individual intelligences of man are self-existent with God. God himself, finding that he was in the midst of these spirits or intelligences, and because he was more intelligent, saw it was proper to institute laws, whereby the rest could have a privilege to advance like himself, unquote. That's in the teachings of Joseph Smith, page 354. Ever since I learned this exciting information, I have earnestly thanked my Heavenly Father for including me in this present round of creation. And I have thanked him for including my wife and my children and the host of wonderful people I have come to know as my friends. What a blessing for all of us to be together in this great adventure of eternal progression. All truth is independent in that sphere in which God has placed it, to act for itself, as all intelligence also, otherwise there is no existence. Behold, here is the agency of man, and here is the condemnation of man, because that which was from the beginning is plainly manifest unto them, and they receive not the light. Here the Lord is assuring us that all existing things, which he calls truth, are independent. This means that none of the intelligence have to obey Father. They are independent and function under the principle of free agency. And every man whose spirit receiveth not the light is under condemnation. And because we are free to make choices, we cannot blame anyone but ourselves when we deliberately reject light and truth. For man is spirit. The elements are eternal, and spirit and element, inseparably connected, receive a fullness of joy. Now the Lord begins lining up the truths he has thus far shared with us. Our intelligences were first given a spirit body, then a temporal body, and in the resurrection, when these two bodies become one glorious tabernacle, we will be capable of having the rapture or fullness of joy just like the Father. And when separated, man cannot receive a fullness of joy. But as long as the two tabernacles are separated, the fullness of joy is impossible. The elements are the tabernacle of God. Yea, man is the tabernacle of God, even temples. And whatsoever temple is defiled, God shall destroy that temple. Furthermore, we need to know that the elements which comprise our tabernacles 
both in our spirit bodies and our temporal bodies, belong to God. And if they are defiled, he can destroy either or both of them. And as we have already seen in section 76, if the spirit and body have been resurrected but are unworthy and have betrayed God so as to be sons of perdition, they can be stripped of their resurrected tabernacles and be cast back into outer darkness as naked intelligences. That's Doctrine and Covenants section 93 and 35 plus section 88 and 32. The glory of God is intelligence, or in other words, light and truth. The glory of God is not only his own intelligence, but the vast host of intelligences in this round of creation which honor and obey him. It is this honor from all these masses of intelligence over which he presides that gives him his power. This is why he says, quote, my honor is my power, unquote. And that's in Doctrine and Covenants, section 29, verse 36. Elder Witzow asked me where I thought he obtained his power, and I told him I thought it was from his father. He said, no, his father only gave them the authority to participate in another round of creation. His father, however, didn't give him the power to do it. It was not until our Father had assembled a vast host of intelligences and bits of primal matter to organize together that he was able to train them, get them to love him, honor, and obey him. And these are they who lie beneath our Father. And that's what he says in Doctrine and Covenants, section 63, verse 59. He says, quote, My power lieth beneath, period, unquote. This would be meaningless to us unless we knew the doctrine of intelligence in matter and where they came from and how they are organized and how by obeying and honoring the Father, they give him power. Light and truth forsake that evil one. Intelligence or light which is in all existing things, quote, forsake the evil one, unquote. Every spirit of man was innocent in the beginning. And God, having redeemed man from the fall, men became again, in their infant state, innocent before God. One of the most glorious things about the gospel is that mankind, who were innocent in the beginning, can partake of the gospel and the redemption of Jesus Christ and become innocent again. And that wicked one cometh and taketh away light and truth through disobedience from the children of men, and because of the tradition of their fathers. Nevertheless, the very core of Satan's existence is to deceive mankind and get the children of the Father to disobey his commandments and follow after the apostate traditions of their fathers. But I have commanded you to bring up your children in light and truth. The Lord has continually emphasized the responsibility of parents to bring up their children in light and truth. But verily I say unto you, my servant Frederick G. Williams, you have continued under this condemnation. You have not taught your children light and truth according to the commandments. And that wicked one hath power as yet over you, and this is the cause of your affliction. 
And now a commandment I give unto you. If you will be delivered, you shall set in order your own house, for there are many things that are not right in your house. All of a sudden the Lord releases a heavenly blast against Frederick G. Williams because he has not taught the gospel to his children. There is great distress in the Williams family, and the Lord says this is the cause of it all. In no uncertain terms, the Lord orders Frederick G. Williams to set his house in order. Verily I say unto my servant Sidney Rigdon, that in some things he hath not kept the commandments concerning his children. Therefore, first set in order thy house. The Lord is also angry with Sidney Rigdon, the other counselor in the First Presidency. He is also delinquent in the way he is governing his family. Verily I say unto my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., or in other words, I will call you friends, for you are my friends, and ye shall have an inheritance with me. I called you servants for the world's sake, and ye are their servants for my sake. And now verily I say unto Joseph Smith, Jr., You have not kept the commandments, and must needs stand rebuked before the Lord. Your family must needs repent and forsake some things, and give more earnest heed unto your sayings, or be removed out of their place. Even Joseph Smith is scolded for the same neglect of his family. Joseph's family are especially condemned because they ignore Joseph's counsel and instructions. What I say unto one, I say unto all, Pray always, lest that wicked one have power in you, and remove you out of your place. The entire First Presidency must seek the Lord more earnestly in prayer, because Satan is determined to destroy them, and cause them to lose their high offices. My servant Newell K. Whitney, also a bishop of my church, hath need to be chastened, and set in order his family, and see that they are more diligent and concerned at home, and pray always, or they shall be removed out of their place. While he is at it, the Lord also condemns Newell K. Whitney, who had been made the bishop of Kirtland, but his family are delinquent just as the families of the other brethren. Now I say unto you, my friends, let my servant Sidney Rigdon go on his journey, and make haste, and also proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, and the gospel of salvation, as I shall give him utterance. And by your prayer of faith, with one consent, I will uphold him. It is obvious that for these various reasons the Lord is impatient with these brethren, and he wants Sidney Rigdon to get out and preach. And let my servants, Joseph Smith, Jr., and Frederick G. Williams, make haste also. And it shall be given them, even according to the prayer of faith. And inasmuch as you keep my sayings, you shall not be confounded in this world, nor in the world to come. And verily I say unto you, that it is my will that you should hasten to translate my scriptures, and to obtain a knowledge of history, and of countries, and of kingdoms, of laws of God and man, and all this for the salvation of Zion. Amen. 
He also wants Joseph and Frederick G. Williams to spread the word more extensively and not let themselves be confounded. He wants them to hasten the process of revising the scriptures and take time to get better informed concerning the history and the affairs of other countries as well as the laws of God. It was almost as though the Lord were saying, quote, Hustle, brethren, hustle, unquote. <laughs> if you liked this podcast and would like more materials by W. Cleon Skousen, you can find his other books and recordings at skousenlibrary.com or at your local LDS bookstore.